When fear feels bigger than my faith And struggles steal my breath away When my back's pressed up against the wall With the weight of my worries stacked up tall You're strong enough to hold it all Okay, well, thank you, Franco. Well, last week when uh, Mark called and asked me to teach, I immediately started thinking, well, what do I want to teach? What should I teach? It was I, I, I. Then a still small voice popped into my head and said, why don't you teach what you need to learn? (laughs) And I thought, yeah, well, that sounds pretty good. And I kind of knew where that idea came from. But then on the other hand, there's a lot I need to learn. So I could have really taught on the whole Bible. But one thing stuck in my mind that I, I really do need to learn. And I, you know, it's my prayer that you guys will learn it along with me as we go on here. Turn to First Peter chapter 5, and there's a few verses in there that I'd like to share because I need to learn them. So in 1 Peter 5, and in verse 5, we'll go through uh, verse 8, but verse 5 says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. And verse 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. So that's what I'd like to share today. So let's pick it apart verse by verse. And I think you guys will all be really blessed. I was in putting all this together for sure. So in verse five, it says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Well, in the first part of that chapter, Peter was talking to the elders of the church. He was basically telling them to be subject to the church, to teach the church, to be wise stewards for the church. And then he goes on in verse 5, he's talking about the younger, so that they submit themselves to the elders. And then he goes on from there to says, well, everybody be subject one to another. We finally all got included there, but all of us be subject one to another. And that word subject, it it means we should subordinate ourselves to to another. We don't think that we're better than the next guy, that we have more to offer. It's just quite the opposite. We don't have them serving us, but we serve them. And everybody, we all have a place to serve. We all submit ourselves. My desires are take second place when it comes to what I see my brother or sister might need. I want to put them before me. And if we all did that, everybody's needs would be taken care of. I mean, if I'm taking trying to take care of everything I need, then there's one person doing that. But if we have a whole body and everybody else is trying to take care of me, I don't need to take care of me. And it would be that way for everybody. I mean, it's a wonderful plan. It's it's something that that, that people Man has never thought about, but God is, of course, is way above man and the way he thinks. But he had that plan that everybody takes care of everybody else. And that's how we, we subject ourselves one to another. We, we put our, our 
we put their needs ahead of our own and we try, how can I fix their needs? What can I do to them? Or what can I do for them? And that in, in Ephesians 5.21, it says, same thing, submit yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Now, that last phrase there is really important, in the fear of God. And to the people of the ancient Near East, including the Hebrews, fear is not an emotion. It's not some sudden emotion that overwhelms us and causes us to tremble and and, and wonder what's going to happen next. To them, fear was obedience. That's really the bottom line. If you feared the king, you obeyed the king. You offered your allegiance to that king and only to that king. So fear is, like I said, it's much more than an emotion. There's something there that's very concrete. And that is, yeah, obedience. And that's how we submit ourselves one to another. In the obedience of God, we know what God tells us to do for each other. And we simply follow through on that. We obey what he says. And that way, we're going to be taking care of each other in a perfect, perfect manner. Yeah, everybody has a part in this body. Everybody has a part. And if I'm the left hand, who's going to be my eye? You see? So if my eye, whoever that is, doesn't function, then me as the left hand is going to be a little bit under par. So we need, everybody needs to do their part. And no, and nobody's more important than another. In fact, as it says here, your attitude should be, well, that eye is more important you see, than me. I got to take care of that eye. And the same with the ear, the mouth, the nose, the leg, and so on and so forth. Whatever part you play, you you look at that part is more important than you. You submit to that part. You understand what that part needs. And then you, as your part, fulfill that that whole thing to make the whole body one body. That's the only way we're going to have that one body is by submitting one to another. That's the bottom line. So, yeah, submit yourselves one to another in the fear of God. And in addition to being doing that within that realm of the fear of God, of obeying God, it says to be clothed with humility. And that's a pretty neat thing there, because that word in, in the Greek, it means to girdle yourself. It, it, it's to wear an apron. It's a badge of servitude. It was used by slaves. That is what they wore as they carried about their their duties to the master. It's a token of mutual deference that your master, his, his will, his needs are what you fulfill. So, yeah, it's a badge. It was considered a badge of servitude. And I think that's pretty neat to look at it that way. Um, one of the translations says, tie yourself up in humility. Tie yourself up. When you're tied up, you're tied up. You you really have no choice about what to do. I mean, you do have a choice, of course, but once you make that choice that you're going to submit and serve one another, you tie yourself up to follow through with that. So you're tied up in humility. And again, it's a badge of servitude. I think that's the bottom line. And that's that's the way to, to really think about it. That as you wear that 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 apron, that that robe that sets you apart as a slave, actually, as someone who serves, you consider that a badge of servitude, a badge of honor, if you will, really. Because, again, the world doesn't think that way, but the world doesn't think too much the way God thinks at all. So it's, that's not surprising. And 
in John 13, 4, if you remember, just shortly before Jesus was going to be arrested at the Last Supper, it said that he riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. That's that apron. That's that badge of servitude that he took on. He tied himself up in humility, and he was going to be a servant. So that's that same thing. And that's what God is asking us to do, to clothe ourselves with humility, to tie ourselves up with humility, to serve one another, to put them ahead of us, everybody else ahead of us. So I think that's all pretty neat. And it's just so wonderful how it all ties together. Not only does God tell us to do that, but he gave us a very concrete example in Jesus. And everybody knows that story, but few are willing to actually do it. And I think it's also very significant that right before he did that, the disciples were sitting there saying, oh, I wonder, uh, geez, I think I'm going to be the greatest in the kingdom when this new kingdom comes. I'm going to be the the top leader. No, no. Another guy says, no, no, I'm going to be that. And and, and you're just going to be my assistant. So they were sitting there arguing about who was going to be the top, the leader in in this kingdom that was they thought was going to come in the next few days. But that's when Jesus taught them that lesson. Nope, guys, it doesn't work that way. And he had already taught that in the Gospels. He said, if you want to be first, you got to be last. And the, and the last will actually be the first. So all that ties together with this verse of subjecting yourselves one to another, being clothed with humility. And this word humility is kind of interesting because at just before uh, Peter used this word, the time before that, it was always considered a word of, uh, it was a disparaging word. It was used of a coward or a cringing soul, somebody that was um, always afraid of something. It was used for slaves. They were always cringing, waiting to see the next thing, and is the master going to hurt me now and all that? So it wasn't a very good word. It was used in a very inferior sense. But as so many times, let God take something that man makes, turn it around 100%. And now, all of a sudden, this word humility becomes something that we should really desire, that we should work for. It's not, doesn't make us inferior in any way, shape, or form. Certainly doesn't make us a coward. Uh, when you go up and talk to somebody in public, you're being humble to do that. And that's not cowardice at all. It would be quite the opposite if you didn't go talk to that person, if you didn't go try to help them see what they might need. That would be a coward. So again, God takes something like that and just turns it around 180 degrees. So that's what that word humility means. It means that we don't think of ourselves above everybody else, that we're willing to put ourselves out there and do what we need to do to help one another, to fulfill our part within that body, to submit ourselves one to another. It all fits together in a a wonderful way. In Mark 10, verse 45, it says, For even the Son of Man, that's Jesus, came not to be ministered to, not to be served, but to minister, to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. So there it is. God tells us something, but he also gives us that example. Jesus didn't come to be served. He was the king. I mean, he was <laughs> he was the king, but it, he didn't use that 
as an opportunity to say, okay, you serve me, you bathe me, you put my clothes on, you do this, you do that for me. Quite the opposite. He, his life was all about helping others, putting them ahead of himself to minister, to serve his life. In fact, he gave his life in a, in a really brutal way. And he didn't have to. He could have gone on living a wonderful life had he wanted to, had he decide, decided that he would call all those angels to come and help him. But instead, he put us ahead of himself. He submitted his will to God's will, and God's will was to save all people. And so that's what Jesus did. So there's your example. Even the king comes to minister to the people. Okay, once again, do we see God changing something 180 degrees from the way man has it set up? <laughs> it's, you know, and, and you got to think the way things are in this world, wouldn't people start thinking, gee, maybe this isn't working. Let's see if there's another way. Well, there is. It's God's way. And all you got to do is flip everything around and we'll have a wonderful world. And that's coming, but not uh, not right away, I guess. Or maybe it is. I don't know. But it's only going to happen when Jesus comes back. And then then we'll see all this stuff will turn around. And people will be ministering one to another. They will be submitting one to another. We'll all be clothed with humility. And it'll be a much better place, of course. Philippians 2.5 makes it very plain. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. You see, yes, we all have our own things. I have my things. But I don't want to look at those things. They're they're. I just don't want to look at them anymore. I want to look at the things of others. I want to look around. What can I do for so-and-so? What can I do for Tom? What can I do for Bill, for Joe? Just stop thinking about myself. And that's what this verse is telling us. Just don't look at our own things. Look on the things of everybody else because everybody has needs. And there's always going to be somebody that has way more needs than we think we have. You see, you know, my life's not that bad. I mean, it's pretty good. I, I I really can't complain that much. And when I do, you know, I immediately think, ah, what are you thinking about there? Look at look at uh, somebody else. They're always somebody worse. And that's who you want to look at. That's who you want to, to try to help. And of course, with God's word, in the fear of God, by obeying God, God will tell you what to do for that next person. Always. All you got to do is ask. Just simply ask, what can I do, Lord? And it'll be there. And as you do that, slowly the things that you worry about in yourself are just going to fade away. So that's how God designed things. And again, remember I said each believer has a different part of the body. So somebody always, always has a need that you can fulfill. So you just want to look for that. Um, I think Timothy Keller, uh, he was a Baptist minister and he wrote several books. He said about humility, I think just really sums it up. He said, humility isn't thinking less about yourself, but it's thinking about yourself less. You see, sometimes we get this false humility. I'm a worm. <laughs> I'm not worthy. Well, God says you are. He's, you're not a worm. You're his prized trophy. As a matter of fact, in his trophy case, quite the opposite. So, it's not thinking less about yourself that I'm not worthy. I'm blind. I'm this. I'm that. It's thinking about yourself less. And I think that really wraps the whole thing up in a, in a, 
nice package of what humility is. Isn't thinking less about yourself, but thinking about yourself less. Start thinking about the other guy. 1 Peter 5, 5, it says that God resists the proud. Well, well, I don't want to be, I don't want to resist God. I don't think any of us want to resist God. You know, if he tells us to do something, we don't want to say yes, but no, no, we don't want to resist God. That's a terrible thing. And a good example of that is in Luke, in chapter 18, in verse 10 through 14, it says, two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican sitting next to me here. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Boy, I'm really something full of pride. In the next verse 13, it says, The publican standing afar off, he would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Quite a different attitude, night and day there. One is just so proud that he goes to church every week, that he gives tithes, that he's not unjust. He's not an adulterer. He's not an extortioner. By the way, none of those things are actually what he is not. He's probably all of those things. But in his mind, he's so proud and puffed up. And that's the person that God resists. So the the publican who smote upon his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Then Jesus said, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. The publican who asked for God's mercy because he knew he was a sinner. He's the one that would go down to be with, with God, not the Pharisee who was so proud of himself because he did all these outward religious services. Then he goes on to say, for everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased. Remember that. When you start exalting yourself, look out because it's going to, you're going to be abased. And he that humble himself shall be exalted. So there you go. We'll be exalted. Now, it's a little nebulous as to when exactly that's going to happen. I don't know if it's this life. I, I honestly don't know. But in the next life, it certainly will be. I know Jesus wasn't exalted until after he rose from the dead. So that kind of points to the fact that that's part of our hope is that we will be exalted. We'll be lifted up. We'll be raised up. You know, and in a sense now we already are, but because of verse eight in, in Peter there, that devil going about, he kind of keeps us from seeing that to its fullness. But one day we will, we will absolutely be exalted. Then Peter 5, 6, 1 Peter 5, 6, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Is this becoming a theme? I think it is. So humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. So I had an image in my mind of this and it was a matrix, two by two matrix or like a spreadsheet, two columns, two rows. So try to picture this in your mind. In the left upper column, you have the devil slash yourself, okay? In the right upper side, another little square, you have God slash others. 
So you have got the devil yourself on the left, God and others on the right. And the bottom two squares or the bottom uh, row, they're empty for now. But you, where do you place you? One of those squares is going to be empty. One of those spreadsheet cells is going to be empty. The other one's going to have you in it. Are you going to be under the devil thinking about yourself all the time? That's what he would like you to do. Or are you going to be under the mighty hand of God? Well, I think I know where we all want to be. And when we humble ourselves, we place ourselves under the mighty hand of God. So I know I always want to be in that right uh, that that second column under God, under the mighty hand of God, I might uh, stress, because God's hand is mighty. And when he's above us, he's taking care of us with that mighty hand. And again, this thing, he'll exalt you in due time. So when Jesus comes back, we're going to find out really the fullness of how much we are exalted because we've been humble in this lifetime. In Luke, it says, blessed, in Luke 12, 37, it says, blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. Verily I say unto you that he shall gird himself, the master shall gird himself and make them his servants to sit down to meet. And he, the master, will come forth and serve them. That's what we have to look forward to. That just really blows my mind. It does not make sense to me that Jesus is going to serve me at his table. But I don't know how else to read that. It seems pretty, pretty simple. But that's how it is. And he calls us to be the same way. If we all serve one another, we're all going to be served by like millions of people, including Jesus. I don't see anything wrong with that. <laughs> see, that's all part of our hope. And it's coming. But we can make that a reality here as we serve one another. Millions of people serve you. You can just serve those millions of people, and it just works out wonderful. Again, total opposite of the way the world looks at things. In Proverbs, it says, by humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honors and life. So it ties together that that humility with fear, remember, respecting, obeying Yahweh. As we obey Yahweh, that is humility. And when we do that, it's riches and honor and life. Uh, it's not death. Sin leads to death as we try to serve ourselves and never works out. It just, your worries become more and more and more intense and it just does not work out. But if we're humble and obey Yahweh, as we look to him for what we should do every minute of every day, then there's riches and honors in life. And that doesn't mean we're always going to be walking on water. He's not going to tell us to walk on water or calm the storms. He might just tell you, go to work or go to this, talk to this person or whatever you're doing. You see, whatever you do, you can do through Christ Jesus, whether you're eating, driving to work, whether you're buying clothes, whether you're pumping gas, whatever, you can always do it through Christ Jesus. And that's being humble and obeying God, because that's what he wants us to do. It's the simple things of life that we can do in, in humility and fear, obeying Yahweh. Uh, Philippians 2.8 says, being found in the fashion of man, as a man, this is Jesus, he humbled himself and what became obedient unto death. 
So there's that humility tied together with obeying God, with obeying his word. And his word is his will. I was talking to a, a friend of mine and he's having trouble with work. He doesn't want to go to work. He thinks that uh, he's not ready for it. And I asked him, I said, well, if God came here and told you to go get a job, would you do it? He said, well, of course. And then I pointed out, there's several verses. I pointed out, well, he's telling you to go get a job. So his will is in his word. And all we have to do is obey that. And that's humility. To sit and argue and say, oh, I'm not ready for it. I don't think I'm good enough. That is not humility. That's very false humility. That's like that Pharisee that's so proud of himself. We become proud of what we think and forget what God thinks about us. And God thinks it's better to think about yourself what God thinks about you (laughs) than usually what you think about you. At least I say that for me. I think we're all that way because God's always going to think better about us than we think about ourselves. So, gee, that's really hard to obey. But, geez, for some reason, it actually is sometimes. Anyway, just work on it. And that whole idea of of, of Jesus submitting in the garden, remember, he, he said, not my will, but your will. He did that to save us. Well, you know, I thought about uh, Moses. Here's another story. Because in Moses, in Deuteronomy there, I think it was chapter 3, I believe, he asked because God had said, hey, you can't go into the promised land. You screwed up. And Moses said, Gee, God, I'd really like to go. I mean, come on, you sure we can't, you know, can you renege on that? And God God basically said, nope, can't go. I don't want to talk about it anymore. (laughs) That was the end of it. So that was pretty neat. But then, so at the end, just before they're going into the promised land, Moses gave a little uh, blessing and he said, happy art thou, O Israel, who is like unto thee, O people saved by Yahweh. So there Moses just forgot about his own self and what he wanted to do and obeyed God and was happy for the next guy. And that's what we can all do. You know, it's not what happens. It's not so much I got to keep thinking about what's happening to me, what's going on with me. And, uh, you know, I'm having such a hard time. Well, why don't I think instead about the other guy, you know, Marion? Wow, he's doing good. Uh, Tom there, he's he's doing really good. And, and Elliot, he's making progress in his walk with the Lord. You know, all this stuff. I'm happy for those people. Just stop thinking about yourself. It's not a complicated concept. And that's that's being humble. That's serving, submitting one to another. We have plenty of examples of that in the Bible. So it's possible to do. And finally, and I think this is particularly what what God had in mind when he told me something I needed to learn. In this verse, verse 5, 7, it says, casting all your care upon him. Why should that be so hard? But it is, for he careth for you. And uh, casting all your care upon him. You know, you have a problem. You got, oh man, I got all this care. How am I going to solve it? What am I going to do? I know I'll do this. I'll do that. I'll do that. Well, I do that. And Woody Allen is certainly not a bastion of truth. However, he did say one thing that I really like. He said, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. So ever since I heard that, I, you know, when I'm starting to think about, oh, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. This is where I'm going to get out of this mess. That first pops into mind and I can't help but laughing because I see God laughing. And he says, Rich, hey, come on, forget that. Let me tell you what to do here. I got a better idea. 
<laughs> so casting all your care upon him. Stop trying to figure out what you need to do to take care of this problem or that problem. Look at somebody else's problems. Try to take care of their problems. See how this all ties together? Casting all your care upon him. In fact, that word casting, in, in it's a... Uh, it's what they call an aorist active participle, all right? And bottom line is, what that means is it suggests an action completed prior to the time of the main verb. So the main verb here is humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. And this can be translated, this casting, this this construct, this aorist stuff, can be translated as having casted your care upon him. So first you cast your care upon him. Then you can humble yourself and do what God wants you to do to obey God, to put yourself under the mighty hand of God. Get out of that left-hand column with the world, the devil's kingdom above you. Put yourself under God by casting all your care upon him. Let him worry about you, and he will because for he careth for you. Now, those are two different words, actually. Um, the first one is like anxieties, casting all your care. Those words care, it's like it's your anxieties, your worries, what keeps you up at night. Um, the word, the other word for what he does for us is basically he takes an interest in you. God looks at you. He takes an interest in you. He knows what you're going through. He knows way more than you what you're going through. He knows the, the, the depths of it much better than yourself. He has much better ability to solve your anxieties, to take them away from you. So you cast them. You throw it over to him. Just like you throw a baseball, you no longer have it. You throw a football. It's not yours anymore. The receiver catches it. That would be God. And he runs for touchdowns every every play. So God takes an interest in us. And that's just, a, that's kind of hard to imagine. Every single one of us, he takes an intense interest. He takes as much interest in, in, in Carolyn as, in, as he does in John and Evelyn. Everybody gets maximum interest from God. He really wants us to, uh, to, to, he wants us to live a full life, a life that's more than abundant. Uh, Matthew 5.10 or Matthew 15.30, it says, great multitudes came unto him, unto Jesus, having with them those that were lame, blind, dumb, maimed, and many others, and cast them at Jesus's feet, and he healed them. So they took their their lameness, their dumbness, their maimed, and they put him at Jesus's feet. They just said, it's not mine anymore. Boom, it's yours now. And what did he do? He healed them. So that's what happens when we cast our cares upon God. He cares for us. He takes an interest in us, and he will heal us. Psalm 55, 22 says, cast thy burden upon the Lord. Once again, so many times God repeats himself over and over. And we should take that and really look at that. It should arrest our attention because this verse in Peter is not the only verse where we're told to cast our burdens upon him. There's many. It says Psalm 55, 22, cast thy burden upon Yahweh 
and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. He will sustain you. You don't need to sustain yourself. He's your strength. He's the one through whom you do whatever it is that you do. You don't do it in your own strength. And do I have to say God has more strength than all of us? (laughs) All of us put together, multiplied many times. That's the strength that God has. And that's what he will use to sustain us. He won't suffer us to be moved. We'll be rock solid. You go by our own plans, eh, maybe it'll work, maybe it won't. You might be moved all over the place. But with God, you will not be moved if you cast your care upon him. Let him take care of your problems. Now, that doesn't mean you don't have to do anything, but he will tell you what to do. And it'll just be a one-time action. You know, uh, sometimes when we have our own problems, we try this, we try that, that doesn't work. So let's try this. Let's try that. That does well. Now it's getting worse. Uh, You know, it can be a real whirlpool kind of thing. Just keep sinking deeper and deeper. But if you ask God first, the first thing he tells you, do it. Boom. Problems taken care of. And he will answer you. All you have to do is ask. And that first thought that comes to your mind. Just follow through with it, and it'll work. Your problem will be solved. You will no longer have that burden because he took it. And he's capable of bearing a lot, okay? He can handle it. We can't, but he certainly can. In Psalm 118.8, it says, It is better to trust in Yahweh than to put confidence in man. Well, that's pretty simple. It's better to trust Yahweh than to put confidence in man. When we put confidence in ourselves or some other man, Egypt, remember when they were, or uh, Judah, when they were being attacked by um, Assyria, they said, oh, let's go get the Egyptians to help us. Well, that didn't work out. (laughs) Egypt turned out to be a bruised rod, it said. It was like a reed. It poked him. So going to man for them did not work out. But God is mighty. We saw that, the mighty hand of God, and he cares. So that's the character. That's the character of the him to whom we cast our cares, our anxieties, our worries. He is both mighty and he cares. So he can easily take care of everything. In Acts 17, verse 25, here's the character of God. It says he's not worshipped with man's hand as though he needed anything, as though he needed anything. God does not need anything, seeing he giveth to all life, breath, and all things. He is a God of giving life, breath, all things. He doesn't need anything. He gives. So that's the character of the one to whom we can cast all our anxieties, all our worries, all our fears. And in so doing, that frees us up to serve one another. That's God's will. That's the way he wants the world to be run. Finally, in Second uh, Chronicles here, it says six, uh, 16 verse 9. It says, for the eyes of Yahweh run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show who he can find doing wrong and punish them. No, 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 no. <laughs> Doesn't say that. His eyes run to and fro through the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect towards him. So God is constantly looking down on this earth 
seeing, okay, how can I help Evelyn? How can I help David? How can I help Chris? What can I do for Franco? Oh, come on. And then he's saying, come on, guys, look at me. Ask me. I got the answers for you. Just come on. I'm looking at you. Just look up at me. It's that simple. He's always doing that through the whole earth to show himself strong in behalf of us. I don't have the strength to solve my own problems, but he's strong and he will do it in behalf in my stead. All we have to do is our heart's perfect towards him. Again, that just simply means to obey him to the best of our ability. And he knows we don't always do that, but he's got that covered. Little thing called grace. So we can't lose. That's the bottom line. We just cannot lose with God. As long as we put him first, then we're free to serve one another. And our lives would just be so wonderful. And in Psalm 40, verse 17, it says, I am poor and needy. That kind of describes me anyway. <laughs> Yet the Lord thinketh upon me. Thou art my help and my deliverer. Make no tarrying, O my God. Well, that prayer has been answered. He's not tarrying. He has helped us through the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave his life, who served us, because he thought about me. He thought about you. He thought about all of us as he hung on that cross. He was not thinking about himself. If he was, it would have been a whole different story. He probably would have called all those angels. But he thought about us. He submitted him, himself to all of us, each one of us as individuals, as a body. So there's our example. He knew that Yahweh was thinking about him, and he was convinced that he would make it all right, that he would be exalted when this mess is all over. And he was, in fact, right. His hope was not misplaced because God gave him a name that's above every other name. That's how much he exalted him. And sometimes when we think about cares, we we think, you know, it, it can be easy to th- only think about big problems, but there's lots of little cares. We all have little things that can bother us and, and keep us away from really loving God and serving one another. You know, ants can pick at a carcass quicker and cleaner than a lion. You see, all these little things, these little niggly things, I call them, just pick, 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 pick. And pretty soon, it's just overwhelming. And sometimes those can be even more damaging to our our walk than uh, one big problem, a lion. So even those little cares, cast those upon God. You know, geez, what did I do with that pen? (laughs) Why can't I find this tool? Just these little things. Ask God. Don't you think, what did I do with this? Ask God. Hey, God, what did I do with this tool? Where is it? He'll tell you. So, you just work on it, and it gets more and more and more real in a reality. It frees us up so that we can serve others. I think that's the whole crux of the matter. So I just want to read one more verse, and that's the 1 Peter 5, 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And that's the the context of that is fascinating, because... Basically, what that adversary is trying to do is to stop us from casting our cares upon God and being able to serve one another. He wants us to 
keep those cares, to keep those anxieties, those problems to ourselves. He wants to busy us with thinking, with, with each of us thinking, how can I solve my own problem? And remember, I'll try this. I'll try that. That doesn't work. So let's do this. Now it's worse. That's what the devil's trying to do. He's trying to undo what the previous three verses said. That's his goal in life. God's goal in life is to make us live a life that's more than abundant. Remember, this devil, he wants to still kill and destroy. So be vigilant, be sober, understand that there's spirits out there that are arranging things, that that are manipulating what you see, what you hear, what you smell, what you taste in such a way that he keeps you constantly worried and under pressure and anxious about things. So keep that in mind and you'll understand that God does care for you. He takes care of you. He's a much stronger power than you and he's all for you. Cast your burdens upon him and be able to serve one another, to submit ourselves one to another. Be a wonderful life. Well, Father, we sure thank you for those words and thank you for helping us each to be humble and and to cast our cares upon you, to get rid of them, to stop letting them affect our walk with you so that we can look to the next guy, see what he needs and help us to know what he needs and to how we can solve his problem and their problem, her problem, not our problem. We want to be able to solve other people's problems, to take care of their anxieties, their worries, their fears. And we know really in the end, all we got to do is convince them to cast their anxieties upon you just as we have. And as we do that, Father, the body will grow into a wonderful, wonderful body under you, under your strong hand, and that you'll take care of everything for us. That all we got to do is serve meat to the next guy. And thank you, Father, for, for revealing that to us and helping us to do that. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, amen. Cast my cares on you